Cut everything out and go again. <laughs> um, yeah, we might as well. We might as well at this point, because I, I fucked up uh, what I was gonna say anyway. All right, it's fine. Go ahead. You, you start. Uh, no, you do the intro. Hey, everybody! Welcome to Sequelitis. Welcome to Sequelitis. This is Matt, and I'm Manny. And Cobra Kai never dies. We're here to talk about Cobra Kai seasons one and two. Manny and I have both seen it. Strike hard. Strike, f God, I still fuck it up. <laughs> strike first, strike hard, no mercy. I love Cobra Kai, first of all, let me say. I love it. And uh, I was the one that encouraged Manny to get into it a while ago. Yeah, I can do that that thing that that people definitely like to hear, which is, you were right, I was wrong, I should have listened to you. Yes. You were telling me back uh, when it was a YouTube Red series. You're like, you gotta check this out. It's really good. You can you can watch it, and we can talk about it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. And I was gonna just sign up for the free <laughs> yeah. trial and watch it. And apparently, that's what millions of people intended to do, because nobody watched it when it was on YouTube. And then it went to Netflix. That's where I saw it. That's where millions of other people saw it. And that's where it blew up in popularity. And you know, good on Netflix. Good investment. I'm so glad that you saw it. I don't, you know, I thought YouTube was the worst part of it. I thought I thought it should be on Netflix. You know, and I bet that they even pitched it to Netflix. Um, so when I see this thing, what I like about it is that it is a sequel of a, of a great property. Um, I will say in, in quick reference to Karate Kid, I'm not the world's biggest Karate Kid fan or anything like that. I think Karate Kid is a property much like Bill and Ted. It's like it's a good little movie for what it is. Maybe it's more like Rocky, same director. And it's got that, like, Heart of a Champion, Rocky story, but for kids. You know, maybe it's the Rudy of its era, whatever you want to call it. It's a good movie. But is it someone's favorite movie or one of my favorite movies? Definitely not. You know, yeah. It's a movie that is a perfect TV movie. My experience with Karate Kid was it was an awesome movie when I was a kid in the 80s. And it was a new movie. And, um, you know, karate was something that was... Uh, this really popular fad at the time, like all the kids wanted to be um, karate champions. We wanted to be ninjas. There were ninja movies and games. This is all a trend that started, I, I want to say, in like the late 70s. And just really kind of like mm -hmm. they figured out how to market, market it down to children in the uh, early to mid 80s. And so, yeah, it was right in the zeitgeist for me as a kid. And I think I didn't try to go back and rewatch Karate Kid until like the mid 2000s. And I just, mm -hmm. I didn't finish it. Like it didn't strike me the same way. But uh, this series is a great way to revive that franchise. Yeah. So, what I love, first of all, about Cobra Kai is I love how they take Johnny Lawrence, the character who is the villain in Karate Kid, and they turn him into the hero of this story. He's a hero because he's down on his luck, and he plays the Mr. Miyagi of the series because he's the superintendent of his building, and that's when he meets one of the tenants in his building that he, he wants to teach karate. That's the same thing that happened with Daniel LaRusso and Mr. Miyagi, so they're very closely and very obviously mirroring that relationship, Yeah, uh, which I find very touching, very interesting. Then they cast LaRusso as kind of the bad guy, because he already has a successful business. He doesn't need to, to stick his nose into Johnny Lawrence's business and go start a karate dojo. He doesn't need to do any of that. And he goes out of his way, and he is the bad guy. And he, 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 Miyagi-Do is not real karate. It's not American-style karate. It's not what they want at the All-Valley Tournament. They want people like Cobra Kai, where they're like, ha, he, ya, and there's a class, and there's a sensei. Quiet! You know, they want all that stuff. What is Mr. Miyagi doing saying, I'll wax on, I'll wax off? Like, that, that's, that's not karate in L.A. in the 80s. 
you know, so I think Johnny Lawrence is really the Karate Kid. This whole thing is kind of recasting Johnny Lawrence as the Karate Kid and saying, you know, Luso, he's the car salesman. He's the phony. Yeah, that's where I think this this really uh, excels as something that is rebooting a franchise that there wasn't a ton of interest in it. I know that they did um, revive it with the um, Jaden Smith movie from like, 2006 or whatever when Jaden Smith was a little kid and I know that people watched it and it did well but I never saw it I had no interest in it and I don't know that it did anything after that Um, but this goes back to the roots of the story but it re it it reinvents and recontextualizes the characters in a way that I think really works well and the biggest thing that they do is that they show things from the perspective of Johnny Lawrence and say like, hey, you know, what if he actually wasn't the villain that you assumed he was? Because when you see things from his perspective, you start to go like, okay, like he was he was a misguided kid, but he wasn't like an evil kid. Yes. So this is the gene exactly exactly what you said. I agree with. And so that's the genius of karate of Cobra Kai is that they take a premise that's very smart, and you say okay, but then you have to do some other very complicated things to make this work. Uh, one thing you have to do is you have to take out the most memorable character, in my opinion, from the original Karate Kid, was Mr. Miyagi. It's like the way that that actor played that role, it was legendary. He was Mr. Miyagi. You could never imagine anybody else. You could never imagine him playing any other role but Mr. Miyagi. He was just so great in that role. You know, it was just perfect. And I, and I also think that another thing they do really well is the flashbacks where they show little clips of the original Karate Kid to give you context. Yeah. And it's so great because they don't have to go back and say, remember that time when this happened and this happened? They just show you a quick clip. It's so dramatic. It's so precise. It's so, like, sequelitis-y. But it's, like, beautiful. It's like like when sequelitis goes right. Like, you guys are really getting it. You know, what they're doing is they're recontextualizing the Karate Kid by showing it to you out of context, saying, like, Let me give you an explanation for this clip you're about to see. Let me give you an explanation for this clip you're about to see, which is smart because you have to do that. You have to recontextualize for your story that you're telling now. But if you go and you watch the Karate Kid with that karate, that Cobra Kai logic, it's going to fall apart because Johnny really is the bad guy. Johnny is a very like one note bad guy kind of character. And it is... It is something that the producers of this series are really kind of counting on in order to make it work is that you just kind of accept uh, what you're being presented rather than going back and and pausing it and be like, hold on, I'm going to check what was in the original movie and kind of see how this is. (laughs) Like, even when they present the the flashback clips, they do so in a way that it plays toward the um, the idea that they're presenting to you. And I think that's that's really good and smart. Um, But I, I will say that I think. The show is at its best and its strongest when it's really focused on the journey of Johnny Lawrence and um, how he's yes. trying to mentor and teach Miguel. And also when they reintroduce um, John Kreese, uh, when they bring him back into the, uh, the show. Another thing that Cobra Kai has to do, it has to create new characters that we like. Mm-hmm. It has to do this. And it's got to update it to be more contemporary to the times. Yep. Now, Miguel's a lock, definitely. But what about Hawk? What do you think about Hawk? I think uh, the way that he was portrayed in the first season was really good and very compelling and uh, even relatable for anybody who's ever experienced some of the things that he was going through. I thought that like his strongest moments as a character was showing just how kind of like pained and tortured he was by being bullied at school and then just showing like how uh, how effective sort of Johnny Lawrence's message was on him when he compels him to reinvent himself, reinvent his image and, and you know, basically how he how he is to everybody else. I think as it went on, like uh, it, it, it definitely declined in terms of quality, but I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But he was he was strong in the first season and halfway through the second season. I disagree. He's super strong, and he's strong in the third season. And let me say that the actor that plays him, he's the best of the kid actors, period. He's my absolute favorite actor. Um, my least favorite actor, I will say, is the one who plays Johnny Lawrence's son. Robbie. 
Robbie, yes. That and it's not but it's not the actor's fault. The actor is not great. I mean, he's not it's not that he's not great, but he's not strong. He, like he just doesn't have a lot of experience playing like different emotions and you know, he's a young actor, you know, he's gonna grow and get better and stuff. Yeah. Um, he, but, his is maybe the most complex character of all the um all the it's, uh, kids it's on the, the show. way it's written. It's in, it's impossible for him to act it that way because the character's written so impossibly. Like he starts off as a criminal and then he moves on to being this entrepreneurial car salesman thing. It's like he, he makes such a character shift that it's impossible to to link together the the actions. Yeah. That's my opinion. Yeah, there were some some big kind of like changes in his um journey that it would be very difficult for um for an actor to pl- pull off and especially like the way that yes. it's written is it's written in a way that he would be the main focus character of the show but he's not he's like the the fourth biggest character on the show um so it's really difficult to sh- give him like all of that screen time that he would need and also, like, it just doesn't strike me that he's an actor of that caliber that could really pull that off. I, I feel that Miguel isn't, like, the actor who plays Miguel isn't that strong either. Um, and it wasn't, like, originally, like, the character wasn't, uh, like, he, he wasn't written as deep as, like, the character of Robbie, who was a supporting character, not so much a main character when the show started off. Um... And I think that really the show needs to focus so much more on just kind of Johnny Lawrence's journey. But um, tell me if you agree with this. I feel like as season two Mm -hmm. went along, the story became less about the journey and redemption of Johnny Lawrence. And Johnny Lawrence started to become kind of a side character in his own series. Okay, so the end of season two is a rough spot for the show. Yeah. It's a rough spot. Strongly Um, agree. And I do, I do have something to say about it in context with the third season. That's good news for the fans, but I feel like I want to save that. But definitely, the end of season two, they it hits a bad spot, and the reason is is because it goes full Power Rangers. Now this is a mistake. <laughs> I'm so glad that you didn't say that uh, <laughs> prior to this moment, because yeah, that's <laughs> that that sums it up really well. <laughs> it does. It, it it becomes like yeah. if, if Power Rangers was more dramatic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it goes full Power Rangers, and it's so unfortunate. Um. And I, I guess to briefly, I will say this, that I, 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 will, I guess I'll say it right now, that season three course corrects all the things that are wrong with season two's ending. Okay. And it course corrects them, but instead of like running away from them, which is would be instinctual, it kind of leans into them. So we go deeper into the Power Rangers well in season three, but we kind of come off better on the other side. Okay. If that makes sense. Um, so... That's my that's my sort of quick synopsis of, of season three, but season two ha- has a rough ending, and you know I think fans are best to kind of ignore it and pretend like it sort of stopped at season like one and a half. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you this, um, just so that people listening kind of understand uh, where we stand on some of these things. Do you think that um, the show deciding to focus more? on the Daniel LaRusso storyline and to make him more of a main character in the series. Do you feel like that was the the correct direction for them to go in, or do you have some problems with that? For which season? Uh, well, really, it, they started to do it in, in season two. That's like, in season two, he was uh, much more of a main character on the show, whereas in season one, he was more the antagonist for Johnny Lawrence, and it was more the story and journey of Johnny and, and Miguel. You know, I think it highlights the strength of the writers because I think that it's obvious as a as a person who understands how things get pitched and whatnot in L.A., I get that I think Johnny Lawrence was supposed to be the star of this show and Ralph Macchio was more supposed to be someone who's maybe in the pilot, maybe in the finale, maybe he pops in here and there. 
almost like a guest spot. That's how it was sort of envisioned. Yeah. Like, let's not take up too much of Mr. Macchio's time, you know. He doesn't want to be involved with this silly stuff. And Ralph Macchio, he read the script, and he was like, you know what? This script is sick, to his credit. To his credit, he realized that it was a great script. He's like, I want to be in an, as involved with this as humanly possible. You know, that's my read of it. I could be totally wrong though. It could have been his project. You know, but it just it just feels like like something that they pitched to to the Johnny Lawrence actor. It sounds like somebody got a hold of that actor. They pitched in this idea, and they had him as a lock. You know, they had Johnny Lawrence as a lock because he is he's an acting tour de force in the show. The, his acting is awesome, and it's awesome, especially in comparison to how he acted as a child actor. He was not a very strong child actor. He played, he, to me, it seemed like he played the role of Johnny Lawrence in Karate Kid with one note, which is how it was written. But as an adult, he's such a complicated, interesting actor that's so subtle. And sometimes he's so subtle that you're like, wait, he's not even trying. And it's like, it's not that he's not trying, it's just that he's giving himself permission to be super subtle, you know, and see how that kind of plays out in certain situations. And less is more. And he doesn't overreact. Whereas Ralph Macchio is a bit of an overreactor actor. What, are you telling me that this is going on in my car dealership? Blah, 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 blah. It's like he's, he's more like a loose cannon. I, I will say that my impression of this is that... Um... You know, it, it seems almost like it has an origin similar to the origin of something that you and I are currently working on together um, in that there is somebody who who really had a lot of love for the original property and they had a lot of interest in saying like, OK, what if we follow the journey of this one character and really give him his own uh, story? And um, that's that's really how the first season feels and as it goes into the yeah. second season, it definitely feels like there are more voices involved and maybe Ralph Macchio was one of those voices that was really involved. Maybe it was somebody else that was like, hey, we need to have more Daniel LaRusso. Like we need to focus more on the storyline of not only Daniel LaRusso, but the LaRusso family and uh, especially the LaRusso um, business um, kind of interest in, and uh, pratfalls and stuff. And that's where I, I feel like some of the some of the steam and, and a lot of the uh, the really good moments and and scenes that we were seeing in the first season, like we're starting to see less of those because more time and attention was given to focus on Daniel LaRusso and his, you know, everything, everything surrounding him. Um, and, you know, that's. That, that's that's not to say that I didn't enjoy watching like um, Daniel LaRusso decide to like help try to um, rehabilitate Robbie, like seeing like, hey, I can help out this kid. You know, I, I think his dad is a shitty dad just because I think everything Johnny Lawrence does is, is bad and awful. And so I think that's a really interesting storyline to go along with. But I definitely feel like the parts of the show that I like the most um, are focusing on Johnny Lawrence and even with Miguel with with trying to reestablish Cobra Kai as a force. And then also, um, you know, if you're going to have more Daniel Russo, I want to see more scenes where you're, you're having that kind of will they, won't they relationship between he and Daniel Russo. Um, because I know that for me, just as a viewer, I wanted to see them patch things up. I wanted to see them realize that they have a lot of uh, similarities and that they're a lot more alike than they're willing to allow themselves uh, to realize. And that is an interesting dynamic. And it kind of got shoved off to the side to be more like, well, let's give uh, Daniel LaRusso a very similar storyline to Johnny Lawrence here. Yeah. And also let's talk about a little bit about the kids that they're training. Yeah. I love how Miguel I love the that actor. I love the way he plays that character. He's not the strongest actor in the world, but I love the way he plays that character. I love that character. And I love how he reminds me of Ralph Macchio in The Karate Kid. He's like lanky in that same kind of way, which they definitely did on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, he's um, he's lanky. Which is fine. You know, he's he's a he's a cute kid and everything. Um and that's that's one of the things that I'll say is kind of like it's such a kind of minor thing to note, but I think the show deserves praise for this. Is the high school kids 
feel and look like actual high school kids. Like pretty much all of them to me. Yeah. Like I realize that they're probably like 19, 20 years old and everything, but there's, there's so much stuff that from the nineties on through the two thousands, you know, they'd be like, Oh, these are high school kids. And it would be like, these guys are all in their mid to late twenties. You know, it was very obvious. Hell, I've yeah. I've even played yeah. a high school kid, and I would I think I was like twenty six years old at the time, and so yeah, it's it's refreshing to see something to where it has a high school setting, and it feels like these are real high school kids. Uh, not everything they portray in high school life like feels all that authentic, but you know, I'm also twenty years removed from high school, so I wouldn't know exactly. Um, but there, there is some stuff to where I feel like they did a good job with it better than a lot of other stuff. All right. But let's talk about like, uh, Robbie's character, for example. So with him, they've got a certain needle that they're trying to thread here because, you know, the whole premise is based on the Johnny Lawrence and Miguel relationship, which we understand is the Miyagi Danielson relationship. And then you've got, you've got Ralph Macchio maybe forcing himself into the, you know, to into the show more or whatever you want to call it. You know, he wants a bigger part, whatever. Allegedly. So that hap- that happens with this kind of stuff. And let's not forget that, that Karate Kid has been nothing but sequelized. You know, the second one was the sequelitis. The third one was the worst of them was sequelitis. The next Karate Kid with Hilary Swank, sequelitis. But they've all been good. You know, even the reboot with Jaden Smith that you said that you didn't see, I did see that and that was good. And this is good. So it's a rare example of something that's been sequelized a lot. You know, so, you know, Ralph Macho, I, in my opinion, he probably wanted a bigger part. So they smartly, they marry Robbie over to his dojo. But this is this is the weak point of the whole show for me, is the Miyagi-Do uh, karate, that whole gimmick. Like, that is horrible. Mm. You know, him in a white robe, like Ralph Macho in a white robe, like, standing outside being like, Okay, now listen to me. Listen to the flowers. You know, blah, 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 whatever he talks about. That is the worst of Ralph Macchio as as Daniel LaRusso. Now him in a suit at the car dealership, you know, fighting with people at meetings. Like anytime he's like in a suit, like I like that version of Ralph Macchio as Daniel LaRusso. You know, I will say that for sure. Yeah, and I think his character would have worked best if in contrast to Johnny Lawrence, like... Johnny Lawrence is a complete loser, but he is a badass fighter. And I think that Daniel LaRusso should have been portrayed as somebody who has excelled so well as both a businessman and a father that he just, you know, he's not a fighter anymore. That he can do Tai Chi and all this other stuff, but he cannot fight whatsoever. And that his strength is more in his resources and his intelligence and his and his way of, of dealing with people and his diplomacy. I think that's the way that they really should have portrayed that character and not just been like, oh, well, he's Mr. Miyagi, but he can also kick ass too. But that would have forced him to be a good guy, and they smartly cast him as the role of the bad guy, which that's what they really needed. But he's not the bad guy, though. Like, you're supposed to be sympathetic to so many things in his life, because you're supposed to look at him as like he is a positive influence for Robbie, even though ultimately like it doesn't turn out the way that it should. Um, you know, he's supposed to be a positive influence for his daughter who, you know, has potential to kind of like they initially show her associating with the bad crowd and she eventually comes back around Um and so I think I think that's the thing that they needed to do is like obviously they want the audience to be sympathetic to Daniel LaRusso's character because if he was just supposed but to be the villain they... like that's originally what I thought the premise of the show was was that Daniel LaRusso was the villain um but but as the he show has gone on he like it's more and more focused on his character and he has become much more of a protagonist um almost to the point to where sometimes Johnny Lawrence himself reverts back to his original antagonistic role against him and i think that's that's where the show isn't quite as strong i i i think that's that's a miscalculation that they needed to make and i don't think they can go back and and change that now they do course correct everything um but i would say the the phenomenon that you're talking about happening in season two i feel like happened in season three really no no he really took over the show 
so I know we we aren't going to like we had said we're we're going to try to avoid getting too deep into season three because I I have yet to finish season three, and people listening to this yeah. may not have even started watching the show, let alone watch season three. Um, but we want to give they, people a chance to watch it, and enjoy it on their own. Here. But the impression I yeah. get is that it it becomes uh, much much more focused on Daniel Larusso and. To me, he just isn't as interesting a character as Johnny Lawrence, and it feels like they're kind of going in circles with Johnny Lawrence's character. Like he's cleaning himself up, he's getting his life together, he's he's got you know a successful uh, karate dojo, he's got a romance in his life, he's he's you know the sensei to the to the All Valley uh, karate champion, and it's like you know it, it goes back to he's an alcoholic, he's getting beat up, like. You know, beginning of season three, he's doing the exact same shit he was doing at the beginning of season one, and it's it's like, you know, I'm I'm hoping that they will, uh, you know, pay it off by the end of this season, but it's it's not given me a lot of confidence up to the point that I've watched. Uh, yeah, that's understandable. It it definitely gets better. You got to kind of slog through it. Okay. All right. So, what do you think they're trying to say with the whole? Robbie is being trained by Daniel LaRusso, the enemies training his son. What what are they trying to say with that whole plot line? That I'm very unsure about because it doesn't it's not necessarily like any kind of like a reflection or even like a contrast over what was in the original movies. Uh it it's right. you know, it, it's more of like a direct like contrast to like what like how Daniel feels that he can do a better job of what Johnny has been doing with Miguel. But it's also like, you know, Daniel doesn't know Miguel at all. Like at one point he starts dating, um, his daughter, but in secret. And, um, yeah, you know, it, it almost feels like that's Romeo and Juliet. Like, like it almost feels like what Daniel's trying to do is adopt Robbie, um, as, as his own son. And it's like, I mean, I guess it's kind of an interesting story, but that's where things really start to get muddled as the second season goes along, is that it really starts to reach into these other storylines. And it's like, we're losing focus on like what this main storyline was. And I think that part of the reason why they're doing it is to give the show more longevity. Because if it just focused on like turning this kid Miguel into this like, you know, pathetic loser who gets bullied and pushed around into this confident like karate champion you know that's that's a pretty short story arc like that trying to take that beyond one season is really going to be stretching it um so they start throwing in these other things and i think that's where the show starts to lose a lot of its focus and that focus shifts from the things that were the best about the series to things that aren't the best about the series uh, I only I only partly agree with that. I okay. I think there's a shifting that has to happen because you're getting more and more people involved. But I think you're more talking about season three because that really happens in season three, way more than two. Are you talking about season three? No, no, I'm two? talking about season two, like specifically. You know, uh, that's when that's when Daniel uh, reopens Miyagi Do. And he starts training Robbie. He starts training Robbie and his daughter. And then they start recruiting some other students and even like poach a few students from Cobra Kai. And that's where the rivalry really starts to build. How could Daniel LaRusso not see that his daughter was going to start dating that dude? He's like got them dipping in the pool together. You guys are going to wrestle around. I'm going to go eat a sandwich. I mean, what did you think was going to happen? Yeah, but that plot line is in response to the plot line where she had been uh, secretly seeing uh, Miguel. And then because, you know, Robbie started living with them, like that's kind of the inevitable, somewhat porny storyline of like, you know, oh, but you're like my brother, you know, kind of thing. It would have even made for maybe an interesting storyline for... Um, for Daniel to like catch Robbie and you know his daughter like making out and for him to like flip out and like throw Robbie out of the house and be like you know I can't believe I let you come into my house and then you try to take advantage of my daughter and then you know that creates a schism between he and his daughter because she's like it wasn't like the way you're portraying it at all but that's not that's not really what happened like it, it turned into more of this like 
it was a love triangle and then like a love quadrangle because um you know they okay let me ask you about this how did you feel about them turning uh miguel into a villain that was a misstep but i i think i think it was because his acting wasn't strong enough to really sell him as a villain he he just wasn't practiced enough at doing it, and I just his his performance as a villain I found it so like lacking. Well, and I feel that's that's both on the actor and the writers because I don't feel like the writers really helped him out with um, the way that they they wrote that turn for him. And you know he's also not strong enough of an actor to really p- pull that off in a way where people are going to buy it and be like, oh, this is like you know this is interesting, kind of dark, and you know shifts things in a way that you know, adds more layers to the yeah, series. Yeah, because he's a, he's a good-looking kid, you know. Usually you'd have, like, an ugly kid to play, like, an ugly kind of look. You know, like, that dude Robbie does a good job of kind of switching from ugly to pretty, but Miguel can't really do it. And it's just, like, he just looks like a pretty boy that's up there, like, pretending to be like, come on, come on. And, I don't know, it just doesn't sell it, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Robbie is is the most conflicted character for sure. Yeah, and I think the and way Sam that Sam is second most conflicted. I think the way that they really should have like uh, portrayed Robbie's character was to show him as as somebody who is who understood that he could use his looks in order to manipulate people, and for you know for him to use that to bad ends, and you know it it. it you could even like show him doing that to the LaRussos and having um, Daniel LaRusso like not catch on to it until a certain point, you know, and even like use that as a way to drive a schism between um, Miguel and uh, Daniel's daughter, uh, where Robbie starts kind of manipulate the situation and making Miguel look like he's a bad guy when he's really not. Uh, that would have been an mm-hmm. interesting story angle, uh, definitely more so than just like, you know, he's going to get drunk and abusive and just kind of be like a cocky bad guy. Like, it just, it doesn't strike me as sincere to that character and that actor. Yeah, agreed. And then there's this one element of the story that's really weak, which is like Miguel's family. He like, he lives with his mom and his grandma and it just, it feels like a soap opera. It feels like <laughs> these characters aren't really characters. <laughs> It's like, I don't know why they're even here. What is this? It's something that we're talking about uh, before we started recording where it's like, it's somebody writing the perspective of someone of a different ethnicity and culture (laughs) that they cannot, uh, they can't honestly relate to. And it really comes across in viewing it. Uh, It's kind of sad because it sounds like the way we're criticizing the show, we don't really like it. But I want to really stress that we do like the show (laughs) and that's it's a way in which we're showing that we actually do care about the show is we do want it to be the best show that it can be. Yeah. That's what I realize as I get older is like when you nitpick something, it's like, just cause you do like it, you know, you're just nitpicking this little thing. Like I wish this little thing over here and this little thing wasn't like that. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, I agree with you. I do love it. And, you know, and, and, and they do start to kind of blossom out that element of Miguel's life in the third season. But they don't get much better than kind of where they started, I would say. Uh, you know, there's a few characters that they kind of leave hanging. Like, the whole character of Sam, I feel like it's clear that they don't know what to do with that character. Yes. And she's just so miscast as this, like, I just don't buy her as, like, any kind of karate champion. I also don't buy her as, like, a hot girl in school that everybody wants to get with. Like, I feel like they're just... She, they're not writing her to her strengths and, and that character is not really finding her own, you know, it's like she's what everyone else wants her to be, but she's not her own thing, you know, cause she's a very interesting actress. I do think she's a good actress, but I just don't, I think the way that she's written, it's like she's left hanging as far as like what she's supposed to be doing or how she should be behaving. Yeah. Because she just does whatever they need her to kind of do. It's like, do you need her to not be interested in karate or do you need her to be interested in karate? Cause we can just switch her on and off and on and off endlessly. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, how is that dramatic? You know, you want someone who is either intensely into it or you know, intensely against it. And then they decide to change their mind. Not someone who like oscillates back and forth that that's boring. Yeah. Uh, then you've got the, Hawk and Eli characters, they're kind of like married to each other a little bit. 
every time you see Hawk, you kind of think Eli and Eli and Hawk. Yeah, I don't really and, uh, like Eli. Um, he's he strikes me more as kind of like a a forced in comic relief character, and he's you know almost he almost comes off like a bad like Jewish stereotype, which is really grating to me. Um, but I, I think the character that I had the biggest issue with in season two was Tori. And, um, so far in what I've seen in season three is they're trying to set up a big arc for her. And I don't feel that that character or that actress really deserve that, but I should really reserve most of my judgment for when I finish the season. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that, that you're, you're reading it pretty much the same way that I'm reading it. You know, I think they threw Tori in there quite obviously as like an alternative love interest to Sam, like an evil Sam, but they just they just tossed her in there so quickly that it was just it was too obvious what they were trying to do with her, and, and her character doesn't really make a lot of sense. Well, and they also needed to they they felt the need that they had to have another villain in there for the kids to to go up against, and I feel like that's a mistake because. Again, like as you add more ingredients into the stew, you start to take focus off of like what made it so good in the first place, and like it starts to become a lot more bland in doing so. Um, and I feel like really like if they were setting something up to where there's an antagonistic relationship between Daniel and Johnny, and then Crease shows back up, and I, I felt like they were doing some interesting things with crease and then they just kind of like dropped those things. Um, because when he first showed up, I very much got the sense. Cause I, I feel like this is something that the show does that would, uh, really be a mistake for most other shows to do. But so far it's done a good job of balancing things, which is they introduce, uh, something. So they introduce that, Miguel uh, wants to be trained by Johnny because he's sad and he's pathetic. He's, um, you know, the fill-in type for uh, Daniel LaRusso when we first meet him in Karate Kid. And so that kind of makes Johnny Lawrence a Mr. Miyagi type. So that becomes kind of interesting, but they they don't jump right into it. They kind of like delay it out and then they eventually like reluctantly embrace that. And then, you know, they do something similar with Johnny and Daniel and then they bring Crease uh, back, which I thought was a really interesting thing for them to do. And they set him up as like, oh, like he's going to try and take over the dojo from Johnny. And that's going to cause a lot of problems. He's going to, you know, uh, ruin all this like progress and growth that Johnny has made. And then they did this really interesting thing where they pull back the curtain and they show like how Crease's life actually has gone since the the original movies. And it's really sad and it causes you to have a lot of sympathy for that character. And I thought that was really good and interesting, but then they just kind of reverted it back to like he's a villain again. <laughs> yeah. They they tripled down on that in the third season. Yeah. And I just feel like why did you guys go through all that effort of making us feel sympathetic toward that character if you're not going to eventually make him, like, um, you know, come to, to regret and own up for all the horrible things he did when Johnny was a boy? Because that's one of the things you're really, you know, setting up is that, you know, Johnny is very traumatized by those experiences he had when he was young and the fact that he was so misguided by such an awful person. And now you're setting it up to where not only is Johnny going to be redeemed, but his former sensei is going to be redeemed as well because you realize that he is a human with real massive struggles and problems. And here's a chance for him to, you know, redeem himself and to also allow Johnny to redeem himself by saying like, you know what, not only am I going to forgive you, but I'm also going to give you a home and a sense of purpose. Um, and so that way you're not just this sad old man, you know, living in these group homes and, you know, on the verge of homelessness, which is a horrible situation. Um, but yeah, like it just, you know, it, it takes the easier way out, which is disappointing. I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, I, I feel like what they do with Crease is, is ultimately is good. But when I first saw Crease come onto the scene, I was kind of like, oh, no. Because every time you add a big character, you add a big expectation with that character. Yeah. 
and you add in all this forced backstory. And, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk to a little bit too about the ending of season two. I wanted to talk about in a little bit more detail, like what makes it so bad. Um, you know, the idea that it goes full Power Rangers is like, that's comedically bad. You know, <laughs> that's so silly to think about all these kids running around. But plot line bad, what does it do? Well, they basically have these kids are like criminals. You know, they're running around trying to kill each other and fighting to the death in this high school which is just so silly they're all running around like it's a big karate high school fight like it's so outside the the dynamics of what they they painstakingly set up in the first two three four episodes of how grounded and realistic this world was and now we've got all these kids running around high school all fighting each other just so silly like if kids want to fight each other like fight in the bathroom fight somewhere believable have a little fight you know i got no issue with that there's been lots of great fights in the karate kid uh cobra kai so far what if they did something to where um you know they they uh you know they they start a fight in the high school and then they're like you know it's it's johnny and robbie and they're like no you know what like let's go out and you can even you know do some fan service and say like let's go meet at that same spot on the beach where um you know Johnny and Daniel uh, fought like so long ago Um, and they go there and they're like, okay, like we're going to settle this by just, you know, a one-on-one fight instead of like this big massive school-wide brawl. And then something tragically goes wrong there where, um, you know, you still kind of end up in the same place that season two ended up in. Um, But, but yeah, like the big, like high school wide fight, it's, it's almost like, you know, it, it's awkward, like, seeing those kids back at school, because then it's just like, well, it just feels like this is going to happen again. So, you know, like, like what's going on? And it, and it feels like there were some consequences to it, but for the most part, you know, everyone's just like, hey, you kids can't do karate brawls in school. Like, this is a school, not a karate tournament. Yeah, well, all the consequences that came down because of it were the worst part of the show. Like, the idea that Robbie, first of all, had to go to prison, that was the worst part of the show. Um, the idea that they're just going to cancel the karate tournament, and now they've all, like, a couple of different people who want the karate tournament to happen have to go to this town hall meeting and speak up about it, and that scene wasn't very good, especially not as good as it could have been. Even though it did have one big speech from Miguel, which was perfectly good. Yeah, well, I mean, don't get too much but, into the uh, details of season three. Yeah, yeah, no, well, I'm just, I'm just saying, generally speaking, um, you know, I'm not giving anything away. I'm just saying that they go through all these arbitrary steps because they have to now because they had this big high school fight, and you know, none of the effects from the high school fight are going to be lasting because it's just, you know, it's just one decision that one writer made about the climax, like, we should have a big fight. Yeah, you know, the Karate Kid's going to end in a big fight, but should it end in a big fight where all the characters have to go to probation, they all have to get arrested, they have to go to the hospital, they have to cancel the karate tournament because of it. Like, this, the, the way the stakes play out is just so counter to what's going on in the show. Now it's like you've got to work so hard to reverse all those things. Okay, there is going to be a karate tournament because they do have to play karate. And this person's not in the hospital because they don't they need to be a fully functioning person that can actually fight in order to be fighting to be the kind of character that we want them to be. So it's like the stakes are just so low. When you see those characters rehabilitating, it's like you know they're going to rehabilitate, you know they're going to get back because this is just a ploy to like to slow them down instead of letting them do their thing and letting them progress in ways that are not physical. Well, and my problem with it is that it it uh, kind of belies like the actual tone of the show. Like, I mean, the, they have shown that there are some legal repercussions um, that come to play in the characters for you know getting into fights with each other. But it, it's something that yeah, like it's so big. Uh, you you do get the sense that like you know w- what ends up happening to some of the characters. It's like okay, this is going to take them you know months if not years to recover from and it, it it forces the show to focus more on like oh well how is daniel larusso gonna save his business you know because like somehow that that whole fight has major consequences for uh the larusso dealership and it's like 
I'm not really watching this show because I want to understand like how they save the family business. And it's also giving like a lot more scenes to uh, two of the worst characters on the show, which are the two guys that work at the dealership, you know, real couple of mooks. Um, I don't, I don't give a shit about those guys. And like, you know, like, like the whole thing is, is like what makes a character interesting and compelling is, is like watching them like try to work through a situation and figure out a solution that is, you know, the, the most beneficial to them and the least disruptive to their environment. And, you know, there's, there's not any chance that those, the, the two other guys that work at the dealership, that they're going to have a character arc that's going to pay off in a really satisfying way. Um, cause I just don't give a shit about them. And like, there's right. nothing that I know about their characters beyond that. They're just kind of like, you know, they're in the background and they're a little bit more color for this environment. Um, you know, yeah. so it's like, why give them like more time and attention uh, and it's because you have to, because one of your characters is in a hospital bed and your other character is in jail. And then like one of the other crazy things about this show <laughs> is the, the, the size and the severity of fights that can go on, uh, where, um, you know, authorities and parents and teachers don't like show up to break it up. Yeah. And it's, you know, the other stuff that they did wrong at the end of season two, in my opinion, like everything they did was wrong. You know, the, the where they took Miguel's character, where he became a bad guy was wrong. The fight in the high school was wrong. The fact that he got injured was wrong. It was all, it was, you know, you could have done all that stuff. You could have had him be injured, you know, but like you were saying, have a fight on the beach and he slips and hits his head on a rock and, you know, you're not sure if he'll be okay or not. And then when season three opens, it's like, hey, he's okay. Let's move on. <laughs> you know, you don't need this, like six episode rehabilitation period that's too taxing to the viewers because it's such bullshit yeah i'm still gonna i'm still gonna keep watching the show though because it is it is uh for the most part it's fun to watch um i really wish i could remember like some of the moments from the first two seasons that i really like love the show and a lot of it just had to do with like goofy things that johnny lawrence was doing and um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you some great moments. Okay. Uh, what's great is when Johnny is giving all the lessons to Miguel for the first time. At, at first, what he does is he has him clean everything up, not because he's trying to teach him a lesson about karate, because he just needs help cleaning his dojo and having all the mats be clean and the whole place be clean. Yeah, and it's kind of an inversion of like what Miyagi was doing with with uh, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like those scenes were also great. Then there's scenes like where he teaches them the first lesson of Cobra Kai, which is strike first. Uh, that's a great scene. There's the one where he takes him to the, the pool at night and he pushes him to the pool and he's like, use your legs, kick. You know, kick if you're going to get out of this. You know, There's the scene where uh, he first tells Miguel, like, oh, you got to listen to 80s rock, like Van Halen or whatever, White Snake. And then uh, Miguel goes home and, like, listens to it. And he comes back the next day. And he's like, I just listened to all that music. It was so rad. That is so great. Like, their whole relationship is so warm and so great. And he's such a good sensei. He's a great actor. Like, seeing them connect and those scenes where he's teaching uh, him karate. And you know that, like, that's the son he always wanted. It's so sweet. But then he's got this neglected son, Robbie, out there that's stealing laptops from people in Panorama City and then goes and sells them in the parking lot. Like, yeah. what kind of criminal What kind of criminal are these kids? <laughs> you know, he deserves, to, he deserves to be in jail, Robbie. He's a criminal. Yeah. You know, and then he's, he, he goes off the deep end on season three. I'll, I'll tell you that. Well, and, and the other thing about it, too, is like that's that's the problem with Robbie is that you get the sense that the reason why he is deserving of a redemption is because he's kind of a pretty boy and not so much because of like, you know, anything inherent to his character. Like he's in a bad situation where like his mom and dad are separated and his mom is, you know, uh, she only cares about getting laid. Like she doesn't really give a shit about him. And, uh, you know, his dad doesn't really care all that much either, which does make it like it makes an interesting um, contrast when it's like when he really starts to embrace being a father figure to Miguel. Um, but but yeah, like they just they have delayed like, um, you know, reuniting those two characters so long. And now they've made it even more difficult because 
you know, he's in jail. Yeah. And the character that Johnny's most concerned with, uh, the well-being of at this point, is not his own son. Uh, can I t- can I talk a little bit about season three without spoils? No spoils. Well, here here's what I would really like to talk about is uh, why why we choose this as a an example of good sequelitis as opposed to like you know the namesake of our well, show because because when you're making a sequel to something, there's so many elements that you can't control. You know, you can't control. Uh, what an actor is going to want from one season to the next. So you have to be able to write that actor out. You know, like, for example, we were talking about how the character of Stingray is in one season, season two, but he's not in season three. He just disappears. They make one reference to him being fired, and it's like, he's done. Yeah. Uh, but to the show, it's kind of a service because he was a character that that was on the comic relief side. He was very broad, and the actor was very good, but his tone didn't really match Cobra Kai. You know, he wasn't really doing what everyone else was doing around him. He was playing it very broad. Yeah, um, he that does was that he was not one of my actor. favorite characters, and um, you know, I think I think there were a lot of other people that didn't really like the the character. Like, um, I have a, a very minor connection to that actor, and I know he's a he's a really fantastic actor. Um, he's really good in uh, the. The Tanya Hardy movie, I Harding. He's really good in that. I know he's also in uh, Richard Jewell. Um, and from everything I understand, like he's fantastic in that. I just am not a fan of Clint Eastwood movies um, and all their their right wing bullshit. But but yeah, like he was he was miscast on this series. It was a really it was a really uh, poorly written character, and it had just this creepy vibe to it that I think they somewhat addressed. At the start of season three, where they're like, yeah, like he's, you know, prohibited from being around children. And it's like, so is he like a (laughs) sex offender? Like, you know, like that, that makes it even creepier because like there were these vibes of like, why is this grown man around children? Like it just it's it's so weird and awkward. I, I also think season three starts off poisonously bad. It starts off and it's so hard to get down and it just gets slightly better as you go. But I do want to say that around episode six, seven, and eight, it starts to get great and it's like the best it's ever been. It gets fantastic. Okay. All the stuff that it takes to get you there is all necessary. And when you see it again or when you reflect on it, you realize that it did all have a purpose. Even if some of that purpose is just to give Ralph Macchio more screen time and to bring back some of the actors that were in the original Karate Kid movies. You know, I get it. In the sequel, they went to Okinawa, and there's some actors that are still in L.A. that are like, hey, I was in Karate Kid. You know, write me a plot line. So they have a plot line where they go back to Okinawa, and they have a little adventure. And, you know, it is what it is. But I, I can really, you can do without a lot of it. You know, it's like it's like deleted scenes kind of stuff. And it almost feels like you're watching something that's in reference to Cobra Kai, but totally not important. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you'll see stuff back in in L.A., you know, in, uh, in Encino and Tarzana, where this whole thing is, like, shot at. And, you know, back in that area, the Valley, the Reseda, all that stuff. Once you get back there, then some real plot stuff starts to happen. Um yeah, and I don't want to spoil anything that happens a little bit later on, but more more actors come back from the old Karate Kid. Yeah, for sure. More well, and more and more. What it's what like, I'll say is that um, for me, uh, that uh, you know why I think this is a an example of good sequelitis is that it does it. It does try to uh, give you a somewhat different take on the original like story, the original plot, and those characters. Um, but really, mm-hmm. something that it does that I I would be interested in seeing this, you know, being done with with uh, other properties of the '80s and '90s, is to just take those original characters, update update them to uh, you know modern times. And to really start a new storyline from them that is all about like how they've been shaped by the years from the events where we last saw them and the new journey that they're on and do it with good and compelling reasons for us to want to watch those characters take on that journey. Um, And, uh, you know, 
one of the other things too is if you were going to like try to remake or reboot or something a property it always helps to take something that might not have like been done all that well in the past and then figure out like okay there's some interesting nuggets here how do we focus on those interesting nuggets and present them in a way that is going to give them a new legacy and make them interesting and compelling for today's audiences and i think that's something that I this totally, show does do i totally agree huh i totally agree with that yeah because like here's the thing is like if you wanted to say uh okay let's take the goonies and let's do uh you know goonies 2 or let's do a series based on the goonies like the thing that you would need to do is like where are those characters now um you know to do an update on like the the changes that their lives have gone through since the last time we saw them and then present a new and interesting storyline for them and not just do something where you're like we're going to take the goonies we're just going to give you new different characters and then just repurpose the entire plot of the original one. And that's that's what they've managed to not do with uh, Cobra Kai. Is they're not just, you know, like the way that they did a remake of Karate Kid. They are doing a new story featuring characters and storylines from the original Karate Kid. And they're doing it in a in a good and compelling way, even though we do have some criticism with, with how that's being um, done. Let's wrap this up. Let's talk about Cobra Kai. So do you recommend Cobra Kai? Do you recommend people go check it out? Absolutely. If you haven't watched the first two seasons, you're in for a real treat. Um, if you have been watching the first two seasons, you're already invested. Might as well uh, watch the third season. See if it you know, really makes you want to see a continuation of that story. But yeah, absolutely. I recommend it. I know that we sounded very um, negative on it. But, you know, like you said, like we're criticizing something because we really care about it. I find that if I spend a lot of time thinking about something after I've watched it, that's a good sign. Because um, even if it was ultimately bad, if it's interesting enough for me to continue thinking about it after I watched it, it wasn't a complete waste of my time. And that's the worst thing that something could be. How about you? Yeah, this is not a waste of your time. Uh, check it out. Um, I do think it's not a perfect show, but it's also perfect in its imperfections okay. because you want it to get even better than what it is. And you root for the show because even the show itself feels like an underdog, you know, and it feels like it moving from YouTube to Netflix is such a victory for it. And now we're like, we're, we're rooting for it the same way we're rooting for our protagonist in the series who we're also rooting for. Yeah. You know, so we're just rooting for this thing to do well. You're going to love how season three ends. Don't worry. But getting there is kind of a slog, I will say. A little bit of a slog. But when you get there, it's totally worth it. And everything in season three is meaningful and is good, even if it's a little long-winded. I will say there are some flashbacks that they do that is some of the worst of season three. They do crease flashbacks. Oh, yeah. And that that is horrible. Please, guys, please, <laughs> no more crease, crease flashbacks. Um, please, you know, because all the flashbacks so far have just been little sequences from Karate Kid, which is a well-shot, well-made, interesting, dramatic, great movie. You know, and now you're flashing back to this whole, like, long scene. Like, just flashback for a second to crease. Like, show that one little moment where this happened. It's like now you got to fight to the death, kid, and then you cut out of it, and you, you don't really know all the context for it. You know, you just you show one little simple moment that seems cinematic. They go back into Vietnam and they play this. Oh, it's horrible! They start in the fifties, and he works at a fifties diner, and he has to fight somebody over a girl. Then he goes to the army, then he gets recruited into the special unit. It's so ridiculous, and he's like, "We're gonna learn special kind of karate in the jungle, jungle karate." <laughs> He's like, yes, sir. I'm gonna learn that jungle karate. It's it's just horrible. It's yeah, horrible, 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 horrible. Um, but that's just one small piece of season three. You know, the stuff that's not that is great, and season three is great. All right, so that, that's everything for me. I'm ready sure to call ready? it a night, guys. Thank you for Let's listening to Sequelitis. I'm Mac, and I'm Manny. And I just want to uh, just no. say real quickly that uh, please uh, follow us I'm on on Twitter at Sequelitis. Follow us on Instagram at Sequelitis Pod. 
reach out to us uh, at sequelitis podcast at gmail.com love to hear from you and uh, whatever platform you're listening to this on uh, please like share uh, rate us on there if you would please because that will help us uh, find uh, more of an audience and I'm not we can just going to teach you how to conquer your fears so thank you very much I'm going to teach you how to awaken the snake within you and once you do that you'll be the one who's feared you'll build strength you'll learn discipline Time is right, you'll strike back.